0: here we are in our series of studies through the gospel of mark and we're coming now to the conclusion of the 12th chapter and we uh, want to touch on a few things here that we read in the passage but i want to zero in today on the second great command you remember we looked previously at the uh, the first and the greatest commandment, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to add to that. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time considering that. But before we do, just remember, this is the final week of the public ministry of Jesus. So once we finish chapter 12, uh, that pretty much finishes the the teaching of Jesus and the, the pushback, really, of Jesus against the religious leaders at the time. Chapter 13 is a chapter that deals almost exclusively with uh, eschatology. Eschatology is a, a theological term that means the things concerning the last days. So chapter 13 is all about the future, things that have uh, had not yet happened at the time of Christ, and even things that have not yet uh, happen even in our time that are yet future uh, pertaining to the second coming of the Lord. And then from there, we get into the final three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, which deal with the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. So here, finishing up the teaching portion, just touching on a couple of things in the text. Uh, the first thing that we note is that Jesus is clarifying for the men of his day uh, who the Messiah is, so they were, um, they were, and still are to this very day. The Jewish people to this day are mistaken about the nature of the Messiah. So they think, they thought then, they think now that the Messiah is merely a man, and he's the son of David. And even in that time, they they thought that as well. So Jesus said, "Well, how is it?" If he's the son of David, how is it that David calls him Lord? Because that was unheard of. You would not call your son Lord. And of course, not only would you not call your son Lord, but the, the, the word for Lord is the word for the Lord, um, the God of Israel. It was clear that David understood that, that the Messiah, although he would be a human being uh, and a descendant of him, David, he was also going to be God, and so Jesus clarifies for them that uh, not the the Messiah is the Lord, and of course he was saying, "I am He, I am the Messiah." And and then the second thing we see is that he addressed the religious hypocrisy of the day. He warned uh, his disciples about the. The the scribes and the Pharisees, those who wanted to have the best places in the synagogues and all of that. And Jesus is saying, watch out for them and don't be like them. And then the final thing we see here in the end of the chapter is this woman, this widow woman who um, she gives an offering, which is very insignificant in the eyes of almost everyone, but God sees it as more significant than the offering of the wealthy. And that's because, as Jesus said, she gave out of her need. But I think the point there is just a reminder that God is, he's interested in the heart. It's the heart that matters to him. He wants people doing things uh, sincerely and from their heart so these are kind of the the final lessons that we have here in this 12th chapter but now i want to take us uh, back to verse 29 and look once again at uh, the first and the great commandment the question was asked to jesus which is the first commandment of all he answered the first of all the commandments is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so here Jesus goes on and he adds something to his answer to what is the, the great commandment. Now it's interesting, the, the question was not what are the greatest commandments, but what, specifically what is the great commandment. And it seems like he would have just answered as he did with that first and great commandment and then left it at that. But he didn't leave it at that. Jesus added to it, and we have to ask ourselves the question, why? So so why does Jesus connect these commandments together? Well, this is the reason. The reason he connects them together is because you can't really love God without loving people. You see, people, remember, are made in the image of God, and it's through our love for others that we demonstrate the fact that we love God. Loving people is one of the ways. It's not the only way that we show that we love God, but it's absolutely one of the ways. And if we don't love people, then our claim to love God is invalid. And we're actually told this by the Apostle John in his First letter, chapter four, verse 20, listen to what he says. He said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So that's why the connection is here. If we really love God, then we will also love people. Now, some people do claim to love God, but at the same time, it's obvious that they don't love people. They, they sometimes maybe it's, it's a lot of people. Sometimes maybe it's a specific group of people. Um, you know, there are some people who, in their religion, they uh, show their love for God by killing people. Well, that doesn't really make sense. Uh, and it's certainly inconsistent with the biblical picture, uh, specifically the New Testament picture of what it is to love God. And so this is what we need to realize right from the beginning, that loving each other is right there alongside of loving God. And it's by doing that, that we, that we demonstrate that we we love God. Now, the word "love" here is the Greek word agape, um, and agape is an interesting word. We, I don't know that I, I don't hear it as much today as maybe I did. A couple decades ago, we used to talk a lot about uh, agape love, sing songs that had references to agape in it. But, But this is one of the words, and it's kind of the predominant word in the New Testament that is translated love. And the interesting thing about agape is that it really is a Christian word. It's a Christian word in as much as the Christians really defined it and the New Testament really defined it because even though it existed in the Greek language, it was kind of an unused word. It was a, an obscure sort of a word that nobody really ever used that often, and so when the Christians were looking to describe God's love, for example, they adopted this word and then they defined it. And we have a definition of agape in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, uh, verses uh, three through seven, and let me read it to you. You're, uh, You're familiar with it, I think, but um, think about it in those terms. This is the Spirit's definition of the word love. And so reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong." It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. So that is the definition. If you want to know what um, the biblical definition of love is, this is really, you can't do much better than this. This is that definition. Now, we sometimes call... Uh, agape love, unconditional love. And it is, in a sense, unconditional love. It is undeserved love. It's it's love that flows from the lover simply because of really what's more in them. So God's love uh, for us isn't necessarily based on anything in us that causes him to love us. He loves us just because he is love. So when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, that's the word that he used. Now, another definition, and this is, this is a definition coming from um, a resource that I have called um, the Vines Expository Dictionary of the New Testament Words. And it is an attempted definition at the same word. So it says this, Christian love whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all people and especially toward them that are of the household of faith. So I, I, I love this part here. I love where he says that it's, um, it seeks the welfare of all and it works uh, no ill to any. So that's the kind of love that we're talking about. God's love for people. And God's love for people is to be expressed through his people. Now, now, notice also, uh, it speaks here about um, the fact that this love is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations. So, in other words, it's not a natural love. This isn't something that we possess. This is something that God possesses and imparts to us through His presence in our lives. Now we've all probably had the experience of struggling with loving somebody. Anybody ever have that experience? Um, it's it's common, right? And you know, some people are are fairly easy to love. As some people, you know, maybe it's a little more challenging. For some, you think it's impossible. These people are so uh, they're just difficult people. How how can I love a person like that? Well, you probably can't. But guess what? God does love them. And here's what God does. God will love them through you. His love will flow through you to them. And as his love flows through you, that, of course, it's not like there's... (laughs) You know, it's not like there's one side, like, here's my love. I hate these people over here. But then there's this God thing that's going on that's, I don't, you know, I got to be nice to them. It's not that. It's that as God's love flows through us, God's love changes the way we feel. You know, I've, I've seen this many, many times, and I, I've even experienced it to some degree, and perhaps you have as well. Um, you know, sometimes when a person is converted, one of the things that they will note is that they just they just had a love for people that they didn't have before. They suddenly just loved everybody. That's a real experience. What is that? That's the Spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit that comes into us and then imparts to us that love and then flows that love through us. So that's what we're talking about here. And... Jesus says that we are to love our neighbor. So here's the question. Who is our neighbor? Now, the word neighbor means, it really means someone who is nearby. So in the biblical context, you would have thought, first of all, of the people right there, your immediate neighbor. connections, whether they be family connections or people in your community or uh, whatever the case might be. The word is translated friend, fellow citizen, um, another person. But there's a great story that Jesus told that helps us understand who our neighbor is. It's a story we commonly call the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? Well, in Luke chapter 10, that's recorded for us a similar situation as the one we read here in mark it's a different context so it's it's the same question but just in a different context asked by a different person but the question is what's the great commandment and jesus says the same thing there that he said here love god with all your heart love your neighbor as yourself but the person that jesus said that to then responded back who is my neighbor Who is my neighbor? You know, love your neighbor. What what does that mean? I mean, that's, you know, who who are we referring to? And Jesus tells a story to illustrate who the neighbor is. And it's called the Good Samaritan because the story ends up being about a Samaritan who helped a man who had fallen among the thieves and robbers and been beaten half to death. This Samaritan comes along and helps him, assist him, Uh, Takes him and and gets him cared for and pays the cost of it. Now, in the story, though, Jesus tells that there were three people that encountered this man. Only the one, the Samaritan, helped him. So the first two, one of them was a priest. Uh, he couldn't be bothered. Uh, he was on his way to do his religious duty. And the other is a Levite who's kind of like a priest, but a little bit different. And he's the same way. He doesn't have time for the person. So they pass him by, leave him on the road, uh, half dead. But the Samaritan comes along and tends to him. Now, maybe you remember, here's the interesting thing. In that culture, the Samaritans were despised by most of the Jews. They looked down upon them. They thought of them as being lesser, inferior. Their religion was not really the true religion. And there was great tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus, I think, intentionally uses a Samaritan as an example. And what he's showing that the Samaritan is doing is he's helping the person who even would be more considered like an adversary. Because it was somewhat of an adversarial relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. So in other words, what Jesus is really saying here is in, in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? He's saying, everyone's your neighbor. Even the, even the person from that people group you don't like. They're your neighbor too. Whoever is in need is, in neighbor, is your neighbor. So the command to love your neighbor as yourself is really a command to love everybody. That's what God calls us to do. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but I will anyway. Um, We live in a world that is increasingly growing loveless. We live in a world full of tension and conflict and debate and hostility and people are angry and, you know, people just, they hate and, uh, you know, this, this week, and this is not the first Time this sort of thing has happened, but you know, some person who was known—I won't mention their name—but you know, they passed away this week, and because they belonged to a certain political party, uh, people in the other political party were cheering the fact that they died. All right, he's dead. That's great, you know. Um, and that—that's—that's that's the attitude in the culture today. And now, that's about as far from what Jesus is talking about here as you can get. Rejoicing in the death of a person just because you disagreed with their political views or whatever. But that's where we're at. So, since that's the climate that we live in, when we, God's people, take God's word to heart and put it into practice and love other people, that is huge. That's a mind blower. That's like, wow, these. Christians are different. And, and that's the thing that is really to mark us. And Jesus said that himself. He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And I think we have, all of us have done this, where we've we've thought other things were gonna be the mark of the disciple. And we put the emphasis on the other things and we've just neglected to love. But Jesus said, no, that's gonna be the real Uh, that's going to be the real witness to people. Now, so who do we love? Uh, We're to love our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone, everyone. Now, remember that that quote from Vines where it says this. It says, um, love seeks the welfare of all, and works no ill to any. I love that. Seeks the welfare of all, works no ill to any. And then he goes on and he's basically paraphrasing um, or almost quoting from Galatians, love seeks opportunity to do good to all people, especially toward them that are of the household of faith. So how are we to love our neighbor? We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about this for a moment. This is, this is so practical and so easy, really, at least easy in the sense of I, I can understand this. Loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus put it in a slightly different way when he said this, whatever you want people to do to you, do also to them. So when I think about practically, well, how do I love my neighbor or how do I uh, you know, how do I put this into practice? Well, okay, I I love them as myself. Well, what what do I like? What what wouldn't I like? Uh, how do I want to be spoken to? How do I want to be treated? Well, I, I can easily tell you how I don't want to be spoken to. I know I don't want people to be rude. I don't want people to be harsh. I don't want people to be condescending. And so, okay, I don't like that. Well. Nobody else likes that either. So if I'm going to treat others like I want to be treated, I'm not going to be that way toward them ever because I don't want to be treated that way. I don't want to um, receive a mean email from somebody telling me all the things they dislike about me or whatever. I, I, I I don't like that. So, you know, I'm not going to send a mean email to somebody else. I do not like it when people go on social media and say bad things about me. So guess what? I'm not going to do that to somebody else. I, I don't. So, you see, if we just think in those terms, loving our neighbor as ourselves, it, it makes it pretty easy practically to just know there are just certain things that, I would not want anybody to do to me or say about me, so therefore I am not going to do those things to anybody else either. And boy, if we started practicing life like that, if we started living like that, you know, people are oftentimes complaining about, oh, you know, God, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, you know, if there's a God, there's a God of love, why is the world so messed up? Why is it like this? Well, I'll tell you why it's like this. It's really simple because nobody obeys God. If everybody obeyed God, you know, today, if today, right now at 1207, if everybody in the world just decided for the next 24 hours, we are going to love our neighbor as ourselves, for the next 24 hours, we're going to do to others only what we would want them to do for us. The world would be changed overnight. See, the problem is not God. God's told us how to live. And if we all live the way God said to live, the world would be a pleasant place to live in. I mean, isn't it true that so often the problems uh, that make us the most uncomfortable or, you know, bother us the most or make life the most troublesome to us, it's, it's because of what people are doing. And so... How do we love our neighbor? We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Before we say or do anything, we take into consideration, would I want this to be said to me or this to be done to me? And if I can say no, then I'm not going to do it. Now, Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, he talked about the same thing. And and I really like the way he put it here. Let me read it to you. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Uh, There Paul said this. He said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves others has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Isn't that beautiful? Love does no harm to its neighbor. So, like like we see here Jesus doing, and, and God often does this in scripture, he takes and he just kind of summarizes in just a few sentences what it is that he requires. So, we, we know, most of us are familiar with the fact that God gave Ten Commandments, right? And so Ten Commandments, okay, that's manageable. I think I could probably rattle off all Ten Commandments right now. I don't know if all of us could, but, but okay, Ten, we can work with that. Now, the religious leaders at the time of Jesus, around that time... A little before and a little bit after, they came along and they said, oh no, no, there's not 10 commandments. There's actually 613 commandments. So they codified everything and they actually came up with 613 commandments. Now try to, well, first of all, try to just memorize 613 commandments, let alone trying to live according to them. I mean, that's, that's the tendency of human beings. God doesn't do that. He goes the other direction. And just Jesus did it right here. The 10 commandments, that's what Paul's saying. They're all summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commandments that pertain to men. The other commandments that pertain to God, they're all summed up in love God with all your heart. So the Lord makes it simple for us. Now, as we go further into the New Testament, it is simplified even once again. And John, the writer of the gospel and the letters, John, in his um, first letter, he says this. He says, um, this is his commandment. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. So he makes it even more simple. And he basically tells us something that in Uh, The command to love God is fulfilled in believing in Jesus. So remember, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. John says, believe in Jesus. That's the fulfillment of the command to love God. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. And Jesus clarified, love one another as I have loved you. So that's... What God has called us to. Now, some of you will remember this. Uh, Years ago, we used to sing a song, and I'm sure some people still sing it, Um, but the lyrics were, love, 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 love. Christians, this is your call. Love your neighbor as yourself, for God loves all. Do you remember? How many of you have ever sung that song before? You ever sing that? Okay, well, the rest of you, it's time to learn it. I'm going to teach you right now. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, we used to get arm in arm. Everybody's kind of swaying back and forth. And, you know, the melody is a little bit of a downer. I don't know why they put that melody to it. But, um, but you know, the lyrics are, are good, and they're great, and they're right. Um, love, love, Christians, this is your call. Love your neighbor as yourself, for God loves all. And did you know that in the long history of the church, It's always been when the church is fulfilling its purpose of loving God and loving each other, that's when the impact of the church has always been the greatest. When the church is at war with everybody, then its impact is minimal. Because, you know, people don't respond to anger. People don't respond to hostility. When you you know you come up to somebody and you begin a conversation with them that is basically just you know filled with judgment and rudeness and things like that who who wants to do anything with that except get as far away from it as you can but you know sometimes that's been the approach that that Christians have taken in relating to the world just standing at a distance and uh, shouting out condemnations and casting stones, and that's that's not the way god's truth is going to be received. So the primary thing that 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 sets the church apart from the culture is love. and the biblical picture of the church Let me just give it to you. Because it starts among us and then works out from us. But the biblical picture of the church is that of a nation. The the Bible pictures the church as a nation um, filled with citizens. uh, And those citizens love each other. The picture is people loving one another, helping each other, encouraging each other, building one another up, looking out for one another, uh, putting the needs of others before themselves themselves. Uh, people from, and here's the thing: people from every tribe or ethnicity, people from every language, people from varying traditions and nationalities. When when people like that live together, love each other, and serve each other, that this is so powerful. And this is this was the power of the early Christians. Early Christians got this in the earliest days of the Christian faith. I've shared this before, but I think it's appropriate to share it again. A second century philosopher observing Christians wrote this about him. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but this was his observation of Christians. He said they seek to persuade their servants and handmaids or children to become Christians by the love they have for them. And when they have become Christians, they call them without distinction, brother or sister. They walk in all humility and kindness, and they love one another. When they see a stranger, they bring him to their home, rejoice over him as over a true brother, for they do not call brothers or sisters, those who are after the flesh, but those who are in the spirit and of God. And then his final word there, such is the law of the Christians and such is their conduct. So the Christians were known because, man, these people loved. There was was actually a Roman emperor. So at the time of the emperor Constantine, Constantine kind of Christianized the Roman Empire. He made Christianity legal before it was illegal. And so Christianity gained favor within the empire and whether people were actually becoming genuine Christians or not, there was a Christian influence that was permeating the empire. Well, sometime after the death of Constantine, uh, uh, an emperor came to power. His name was Julian. And Julian did not embrace the Christian faith, even though he was more or less you know, brought up in sort of a nominal version of it. Uh, he opposed it, and he wanted to drive Christianity out of the empire, and he wanted to restore it to its pagan roots. And yet he had a very, very difficult time. As a matter of fact, it was impossible. It couldn't be done. And, and this is what he said. He expressed his frustration. He wrote this. Um, he refers to Christians as atheists because they didn't believe in all of the gods of the Romans. So he calls them atheists. And he says this. He says, um, atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. He said, it is a scandal that there is no single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, that's his way of describing the Christians, the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. So this guy just says, man, these Christians are out loving us by miles, and we can't get any traction with our paganism because of them. And it was their love. And you see, that is the thing. And just think for a second about it yourself, personally. Love is so appealing. It's so attractive. It's one of those things that when somebody loves you, it just, it draws you in. It's, like, it's an irresistible kind of thing. Now, of course, there are some people that resist it, but just generally speaking, it changes everything. And this is what God says to us. Love is the key. It was the key. It still is the key. And that doesn't exclude truth. Truth, of course, is always preeminent in the Christian faith. But the biblical order is grace and truth, love and truth. You know, Jude put it this way. He talked about people who need to be saved, And he said, save, first of all, save some with compassion. And secondly, save others with fear. And the order, I think, is intentional. Our first approach is compassion, which is another way of just saying love. This is how we are to approach people. Now, certainly there are people that that will at times need to be uh, warned about judgment and things like that. We're not excluding that. But we don't. Start with that. Because, again, if you start with that, if you start on the negative, generally you're, you're going to repel a person rather than draw them. You know, when you walk up to your neighbor and say, hey, did you know you're going to hell? <laughs> I don't know about you, but if my neighbor said that to me and I wasn't a Christian, I would say, get lost. <laughs> you know, uh, thank you, neighbor. I, I'm not interested in having this conversation any further. Uh, but if somebody comes up and says, did, did you know that you are so deeply loved? Did you know that God loves you so much that God has a plan? And, you know, if you start there, there that's, that's appealing. That's attractive. So save some with compassion and, yes, save others with fear. But But love is the key. Now... <coughs> I just saw this um, this weekend on Twitter. Miles McPherson is a friend of mine. Miles pastors a church in San Diego called the Rock Church. Miles is a uh, mixed race person. He's he's black pastor, but he has some other, you know, things within his um, makeup. So he sometimes refers to himself as mixed race, but he identifies as a as a black man. Always has. Um, today at his church. He has a guy who was a white supremacist. And I remember this story from Miles' book called The Third Option. Miles met this guy on the, at the yard of a prison. And he went to speak at a prison. And then he went out in the yard you know, to mingle with the prisoners. And there were these big, burly, tatted up from head to feet white supremacist who were just sort of daring him to even look their way. And, you know, Miles was a pro football player, so he probably figured, you know, yeah, they might take me down, but, you know, I'll survive it. Um, but Miles just, he made a beeline for the, the baddest looking guy in the crowd. And he just came right up to him. And <laughs> he, he was telling me the story. He came, came right up to his face and just got face to face with him and said, Jesus loves you. And anyway, through that initial encounter, this guy came to faith. So today, Miles is interviewing him at his church. So I saw a picture on Instagram where they're sitting there. And, you know, the guy is bald-headed. His whole head is a tattoo. And, you know, he just looks like one of the, you know, he, he looks like what he, what he was. But, but God has redeemed him. Now Now, that guy and his friends, they were looking for a fight. They, they wanted to mix it up. They're, Here's a black guy coming on here. We're going to teach this guy a lesson. We're white supremacists. They were looking for a fight. Miles was looking to show the love of God. And the love of God prevailed. And you see, that's the reality. Love, <coughs> love is the key. And we, as God's people, in these days of so much tension in the culture, Look, we're the ones that can change it by shifting our tone from being angry and hostile and hateful. That should never be our tone anyway, but if it is, we got to change that and we've got to speak to people lovingly. We got to speak the truth, of course, but we need to be winsome. We need to know how to speak the truth in love because love is the thing that in the end makes the difference. Love breaks down those things. One other quick story. Um, We just had a, at the festival in the UK, we had one of our speakers, a young man named David Bennett. Uh, David Bennett wrote a book called The War of Loves that I read. And the subtitle of the book is How a Gay Activist Came to Jesus. I can't remember the last part, something like that. Uh, He was a gay activist at 19 years old. He was head of the club on his university campus in Sydney, Australia. He was on a mission to just fight Christianity for the rest of his life. Well, through a set of circumstances, God met this guy in an amazing way and drenched him, as David tells the story, just drenched him in his love. It was like this irresistible thing. Just the love of God fell upon him. He knew, even though he was completely resistant and totally fighting against Jesus. Uh, He knew that Jesus was the Lord. He knew this was God's love being poured out on him. He gave his life to Christ. He, you know, began his journey then as a Christian. And he recognized initially that uh, certain aspects of his uh, homosexual lifestyle were, were wrong. But for three years he still thought, as a Christian who's not sexually active but who is still even dating people of the same sex, three years in, he still thinks that someday he's going to get married in a same-sex marriage because he's read some of the more liberal Christian stuff that tells you that you know, God's okay with that as long as it's monogamous, as long as you're committed for life and all of that. So he's under that influence. And so that's three years into his Christian life. That's what he's thinking. So he goes to the leaders of his church and he tells them that um, this is his plan and he just wants to make sure they're on board and he likes them. So he wants them to perform the wedding when it comes. He's not planning to get married anytime uh, soon, but you know, just looking ahead. So he tells this to the leaders of the church, and they said, "Well, okay, two things. Number one, that's never going to happen, and it's never going to happen for this reason." And they just opened the scriptures and they just, you know, walked him through why that cannot happen. Uh, He still wasn't convinced. He thought, "All these guys just—they—they need to read some other stuff, you know." But, but okay. But they said this to him. They said, "But listen, we love you." And we don't want you to leave the church. So please stay. And let's just see what God will do. Now, I was with David two weeks ago. And I, like I said, I had read his book. And I was very fascinated by this amazing journey that God has had him on. This is 10 years down the road in his Christian life. He's fully solid. He's, you know, a celibate Christian. He uh, knows that there is no uh, same-sex marriage in his future. He's completely committed to biblical authority and all of those uh, kinds of things. Uh, But it was a journey for him to get there. That's my point. And it was the love of the Christian people that God brought into his life that helped him go step-by-step on that journey to coming to the place of fully... You know, committing himself uh, in his heart and mind to God's plan and purpose for his life, even if that's to live a celibate life for the rest of his life. But the point is, it was love. Now, I say that because I think that our temptation would often be to just say, look, here's the rule. If you don't comply, you're not welcome here. You know, go somewhere else, go figure this out. And I just, I commend the leaders of that church for their firm standing on scripture, but also for their love that kept a person in the fold and gave them time to work through these issues and to come out where he needed to come out in the proper timing. So I tell that story and the the Miles story because, you know, in both cases, it's, it's love that is, has been that dynamic that has brought that transformation. And that's what God calls us to have. So we are to love our neighbor, meaning our brothers and sisters. Let's start right here in the church with Christians. And when I say in the church, I'm not just talking about our church here, but in the church you know, sometimes it's Christians can't even love each other. Got a lot of that going on today. That's a that's a big problem. So if we started loving each other, though, that would be a good place. And it, it probably would, uh, people on the outside would probably see it too. Wow, like those Christians are different. And that's happened many times. You know, people think a certain thing about what a Christian is or what, Christianity is all about and they, they have a preconceived notion and then they write it off and they know it's bigoted and all of this stuff. And then they meet a real genuine believer who just loves Jesus and loves them. And they're like, wait, they, you know, this, this is not what I thought. That's a pleasant surprise. But let's surprise more and more people uh, by being that. So starting with our brothers and sisters, love your neighbor, your community, people around you, whether that's your neighborhood or just your workplace. But then loving your neighbor is also loving people in need. You see somebody in need, just do what you can to help out. And then finally, loving your neighbor is loving all you meet. Wow, just loving all you meet, just going out. And now, listen, here's the good news. The good news is that the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We are the temple of the spirit. We're indwelt by the spirit. Now, if I don't feel like I have love, or, you know, if if all of this just seems so foreign, what do I do? Well, here's the wonderful thing. I say, Jesus, fill me with your love. And Lord, would you fill me with your love so it overflows and touches other people? And Lord, would you love people through me? See, that's what we have as Christians. We have the indwelling presence of God, the spirit of God, who is love. And so it's not that we're going to work ourselves up into a love frenzy. It's that we are going to say, Lord, I need you to fill me with your love and to love people through me. And if we ask the Lord to do that, and if we just keep on asking him to do it, I guarantee we are going to see radical changes in ourselves, in our relationships with other people, and people who are observing are going to see things as well that are going to be attractive to them. So Lord, we ask that you would help us. And Lord, we confess today that we do not have so often that love welling up within us. And Lord, we thank you that it's not up to us to work it up or to conjure it. But Lord, it is something that you do in us because of your presence. And so we pray today that you would fill us afresh with your spirit, the spirit of love. Lord, that we might go forth from this place and just simply love people. And Lord, that you would use that love that you give us, that unconditional love. We're not gonna worry about who they are, what they're doing, where they're at. We're just gonna love them where they're at and trust you to do what only you can do, turn hearts toward you. So Lord, that's our prayer. Help us, Lord, to love each other. I pray today, Lord, if there are any with us, if there are any hearing the message today that are at war or angry with or even have hatred toward their brother or sister who they can see, but thinking they love the God they can't see, Lord, help them to know that that's really not the way it works. And Lord, just help each person to forgive and to be refreshed by your Holy Spirit in the love of Christ so that that love can overflow to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And you know, when, when, you, when you just are filled with God's love yourself and you've sensed his love for you, it's just almost then, it's just a sort of a natural thing. It's just, that's what's happening, you know? And so may God do that. May he fill us all afresh with the spirit. And as we go out into the unloving environment that uh, we will find ourselves in, may there be a marked difference because of the love of Christ in our lives. So God bless you, fill you afresh with his spirit. If you need some prayer this morning, we have a prayer team up front here and they would love to pray with you for any and everything. Uh, If you're with us today and you've never opened up your heart to Christ. You never really experienced the the love of God. God loves you. He loves you deeply. And he demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for your sins. And he is inviting you to come and to receive that forgiveness and to enter into a relationship with him. And that happens by just simply saying, Lord, I, I want that. I need that. I confess I don't have it. And if there's anyone here that's in that place, uh, you have that opportunity today. So come on up. And the prayer team will happily pray with you. There's a simple prayer to ask Christ into your life. And everything will change. So pray you'll do that. So tonight, no service tonight, no prayer meeting tonight because we're focusing on the crusade. Let's just pray really quickly for that too. Father, we pray for... Um, the crusade tonight. We pray for the many that will come. We thank you, Lord, that many tonight will come into the kingdom. Lord, that there will be rejoicing in heaven tonight over the many sinners who uh, turn. We pray your blessing upon the entire event. Pray that all the people that need to be there would get there. We pray, Lord, for Greg, that you would give him just that special and clear word. Um, Lord, that his words would be your words coming in power to the hearts and minds of people to turn them to yourself. So bless every aspect of the evening, we pray. And Lord, as we go this week, go before us in Jesus name. Amen.